0: Are you feeling exhausted and a little crispy around the edges? Grief after pregnancy or infant loss, navigating infertility, and working in today's healthcare environment can all lead to a place of burnout. If this sounds like you, take a listen to this episode. Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness based grief tools to help providers like you build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. Today, I am honored to have my burnout coach, mentor, and friend, Dr. Aaron Wiseman, on the podcast. In 2014, while working as a family practice physician, Dr. Wiseman was feeling empty, sad, trapped, desperate, and burned out. She could not see a way out, sought support from a life coach, and rediscovered what it felt like to feel happy again. For those of you who are feeling burned out from your grief, your careers, or anything else you are struggling with, I hope our conversation today offers you hope, some things to think about or try, or maybe you'll want to dive into some of Dr. Erin Wiseman's offerings, including her podcast, Burnout to Badass, course, and coaching. Welcome, Erin.
1: Hey, lady, it's so great to be here with you today.
0: I am just honored that I'm sharing this conversation with you. Thank you for coming on.
1: God, think about where you were when we first met.
0: Yeah, definitely in a different place. And for those of you who are listening, Erin was very important part of my journey. And a big reason why Pause to Remember is here today, because I was in a place of burnout. And the one thing that I kept coming back to was Pause to Remember. And so for that, I am extremely grateful for your guidance and mentorship and for now sharing this conversation with you.
1: Absolutely. I think my words to you were probably something along the lines of like, you need to lean into this. And I'm so excited to see that that dream is now a physical reality.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's been an honor to meet and get to know so many different healthcare providers who are grieving, and so many of them are grieving silently and feeling very isolated. So, and I know a lot of them are having issues with burnout or burying themselves in work. So, I guess let's just dive in and if you could maybe just give a little background information about your life, getting into medicine, and then how you found yourself in a place of burnout.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we could go all the way back and like psychoanalyze my life if we want to. (laughs) But how about I give you the skinny on it? So I come from a non-healthcare family in Southern Indiana. We are workers of the land and blue collar workers. Um, And I always had the admiration to do more. So I figured I was either going to be some sort of leader. I really like science, that sort of thing. Didn't know where it was going to lead me. But I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go, I might as well go big. That's just my personality. And so headed off to med school Got married between second and third year. Found out we were pregnant in my fourth year of medical school with our first baby. And I can say now, looking in hindsight, burnout definitely started for me in medical school. It simmered and matured in residency. And I was over my head when I got out as an attending. At the time, you know, it's like, oh, it's just stress. This is supposed to be hard. All the things we tell ourselves, you know, going into intern year and having a baby four months into it, you know, like, I guess I chose this path. It's just how it's going to be. But now sitting in a position, looking back over, you know, the last decade and a half, I see now that I was slowly becoming crispy around the edges until it totally burnt me to the very core of my life.
0: Yeah. Tough place to be in.
1: Yeah. And I think it's hard when it's like that slow, long burn, because really now, if you weren't burned out before the pandemic, you are, you are now (laughs) perfectly honest. Yes. Everything. And I think that's a little bit of the difference that I'm seeing in folks who are burned out. It was like hard and fast where mine was more insidious. um, And I had times of where it was fast and furious and and heightened. But I think that's also what made my journey through it and out of it more difficult because I was just doing what we're all supposed to be doing. Like, you know, we always say like, work hard, play hard, or, you know, patience first, we'll pee later, you know, all that like programming the invisible curriculum like I like to call it versus the pandemic burnout which was like just we instantly got thrown into the deep end. So I think that there's a couple different ways that you can experience burnout and of course it's very individualistic and different people deal with it differently, they see it and experience it differently. For me, my coping mechanism, my drug was work. I am a recovering workaholic, a hundred percent. Before Amy and I jumped on the recording, she was asking me how I was doing. And I was like, I'm overworking again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I have periods where I do that too. And I think that when that's your default mode, we are creatures of habit.
1: Yeah. Those neural tracks, they go back to how can I numb? How can I fix? How can I... Cope right now, and for me, you know, being a physician, overworking is totally what an organization wants. You know, oh, will you see one more patient? Sure. Will you stay later and do this committee? Okay. You got a meeting over lunch. All right. You know, it's it's doing those things that on the surface seem really admirable, but on the inside, you know, it's it's like a cancer growth, just worse and worse and worse until. You're so severely sick physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually that you're, I mean, for me, it was either I was numb or I had such huge anger at the people who were closest to me. And that was really back in 2014 that you had mentioned in the intro. That was the place that I was at was just the the utter numbness, but then also like frustration times infinity like just in that and I was just so tired of feeling angry all the time but I didn't feel anything else either
0: Mm -hmm. and when you would pull into the parking lot and show up for work what was that like for you when you got to the point where you knew you were truly burned out
1: I don't know that I knew I was burned out I just knew something was really really wrong and Mm. I didn't want to go to a psychiatrist. I didn't want to access, you know, like the hospital's EAP program, but I really just wanted to feel better. And, you know, there were times that I was like silently hoping that I would get in a car accident and not like a huge one where it like flips over and it's like a flaming ball of metal, but like a pelvic fracture, you know, like bad enough that I couldn't work for a couple of months, but like nothing that I wouldn't not survive as well. And so, if there's somebody out there who can relate to that, like, friend, you're in a bad place. There would be times I'd pull into the parking lot and I'd physically, like, sit in my car and just be like, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And I remember Mr. Dr. Wiseman asking me, like, what is it that's so bad? Like, are they abusive to you? Is it the patient? And I remember just being like, I don't know and everything. And... I was like, I can't be crazy. I can't be crazy. And so I did what I tell all my patients not to do and got on the internet and Googled and found, and that's honestly how I learned about burnout, because you got to remember, I am in a county in Indiana, population less than 12,000, only female doctor in it, youngest doctor in the county at the time. And I was looking around and like everybody else looked like they were doing okay. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I went all this schooling. I put myself through med school. I pushed myself through residency. I had two babies at the time. And I was like, this is what everything that I had worked for. I'm supposed to be like screaming from the top of the mountains and like enjoying my life. And I have never felt more miserable. It was hard, so hard.
0: Yeah, and probably very isolating because like you said, you were the youngest only female in the area with a small population.
1: And you gotta remember I'm in the Bible Belt. And Mm -hmm. so being a outspoken professional female is not something that you see a lot. I don't enjoy baby showers. I like going grocery shopping because I was alone. You know, I'd leave the kids at home, but that was the only reason why so i don't fit into the typical like norm midwestern farmer's wife either mm-hmm. and god i i i am so thankful that when i did get online and sorted through all the trash that i was able to at least find some glimmer of hope and be like it's not just me i thought it was just me but it's not just me
0: and then once you discover that it wasn't just you How long did it take you to start making some changes or seeking support?
1: You know, the support first came as a lurker, not going to lie. Like, I didn't want to be outed. I didn't want, you know, people to know that there was wrong, you know, problems. Because if they knew, then, you know, then they, then it would be that I was a problem. And this was when PMG Physician Mom Group was really, really new. Like within the first couple months of it starting, I had hopped on there on facebook and just like reading through the posts and stuff i was like that's where it was like okay it's not just me it's not just me just not just me but it was when i found my first coach her name was philippa Keneally. she was an in like later stage family medicine doc as well she was out on the west coast and she was talking about her experience in life and i was like oh my god like, this is me. Like, I I finally felt like somebody related to. And I set up one of these calls called a discovery call. I didn't know what the hell it was. I, like, rushed home. I was still, like, seven minutes late, you know, all mm-hmm. time, picking kids up from daycare. And I remember getting on this call, and it was the first time that I had felt seen and heard and understood in I don't know how long because my husband's not in medicine, and, like, we mentioned all those other factors, I had reached out to, like, med school friends and residency buddies, and, like, it just still wasn't quite enough, and I was, like, I don't know what kind of voodoo magic you want or you're doing, but, like, fucking sign me up for it, and that was really my first introduction to realize, like, there was a whole shit ton that I missed lifing when I was in med school, Like, I I learned all the the science-y, medical, pharmacology, anatomy stuff. But, like, I didn't realize that, like, boundaries were a good thing and that why I felt so bad in certain situations is because it was incongruent with my core values, that I had the ability to actually control my life and not feel like I was at the whim of everyone else. And and so that was like my first introduction to to this wellness stuff. And I'll be honest, at first, there weren't a whole lot of external changes, but there was a lot of internal changes.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I never realized how mean I was to myself in my internal dialogue until I started coaching. And she started asking me like really hard questions. I had done therapy and like, you know, kind of felt better after you talked. But there was something different about these kind of conversations that we were having and the homework exercises that she was giving it. And really what I did is, which I do do best, is like I then threw myself into becoming a coach because I was like, fuck, like where's all the like young mom coaches at? Because we need this shit. So I actually, little did I know, turned out to be one of the first like OG young physician coaches out on the street in 2015, which is crazy. It's going on like 10 years here in a little while to be talking about and, and to show up in the internet space and not be a straight laced business coach who like wears the suit jacket. And like, that's honestly like the cuss words are always in my head. Like when I was talking to people, but I filtered, I filtered so much of my life, Amy, like, I grew my hair long. I wore the black pants and the like dance goes. And like I was looking the part of like what a good female doctor slash community member slash mom slash farmer's wife like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And but I was a square peg trying to fit in a round hole and it did not work. And like that work of peeling off the layers and becoming, like, remembering who I was underneath of this. I am, like, a spunky-ass, sassy girl who doesn't give two shits about what people said. But somewhere along the way, between, like, 18 and 30, I lost that. And that that has been so reigniting in my life to be like, no, no, I'm not fucking showing up to the bake sales with five dozen cookies here's 20 bucks go go get you some and and like really just embracing that and being like I have to show up in this world as me because when I try to show up as anybody else I know what that leads to that leads to burnout that leads to numb that leads to depression that leads to suicidal thoughts and I'm not going back there
0: well and I think that that's a really good point Particularly for providers who are grieving and they don't know exactly how they should be navigating grief. I think you saying you do it your way. I just want to emphasize that for anybody who's listening because there's no one way through life, there's no one way through grief. There's only your way, and that is the right way is your way. And listening to that inner voice to help guide you is really important.
1: Well, and I think taking the next best step, I didn't know where this was going to go. I didn't realize, you know, it, at this point in my life, I would have sassy short hair and, you know, dragon tattoos at this point. But I knew when I was trying to be straight laced with the long hair and the white coats and the like very soft spoken and the, you know, that that, that wasn't the way. And so really my journey is so twisty it is not linear whatsoever, but that, it, that single piece of advice of like, just take the next, whatever mm. that is, whatever that looks like, feels like is, is where you make the journey of a thousand steps. And yeah, sometimes you have to backtrack. Oh shit. I mean, I have made some bad decisions, but The other thing I've learned in all of this, Amy, is that there is no winning or losing. There is celebrating and learning. It really is because like, there's no more Scantrons. There's no more a plusing life. Like, I kind of hate, and I've talked to my kids about this, like, you know, when they come home and they're like, oh, I got to be on my spelling test. And I was like, you know what? Like, in the grand scheme of life, it doesn't really matter. It does, it, it is a grade but let me tell you it's so much more important to learn how to learn or know how to fix that mistake and that misspelled word and and rather than like having the perfect because if you looked at me back in 2014 i was perfect on paper and it sucked the life out of me
0: did it manifest in physical ways for you
1: besides like destroying my mental health almost getting divorced Running away to Guatemala to escape my student loans.
0: <laughs> wow. I didn't know you escaped to Guatemala. I didn't. I had dreams of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, how did I miss that detail?
1: No. Um, but there was a lot of nights thinking, you know, how can I, how can I escape from six figures of debt and like restart? Like yeah. get a margarita stand on the beach. Yeah. Because uh, it didn't seem like there was any way out either because here was the thing. I was going to be perfect Aaron. I was going to like be the, like everybody's doctor cradle to grave. I was going to do it in small town, USA, Southern Indiana. There was like two medical practices, maybe three that I could join in the County. So I was like already down one practice if I was leaving it. Right. And like, why would the competitors want to hire me? Oh, and I forgot to mention, I had like the worst non compete, it was 75 miles from any of the organizational entities. So that like blacked me out of Southern Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky. And so when I was really thinking about, okay, like how do I make a change? Again, I felt so stuck. I was like, I don't want to do pharmaceuticals. I don't want to, you know, move to Indianapolis. We have farm ground here. I'm like, And I'm not interested in, you know, what else could I do? I wasn't interested in anything else. I literally applied to be a, I think it was director of marketing for a local bank. I put in applications at a few other, like, because I was just looking at like, how can we pay the bills at this point? I was leaving medicine because I had talked to my medical director and then I even talked to the CMO and they just kind of like patted me on the head and they're like it's gonna be okay Dr. Wiseman like go back to your practice and be happy for the next 30 years and retire with us and like with that thought in mind of like I can't do this 30 more minutes let alone 30 years and that's when I sunk really really low but it was through coaching. It was through getting healthier in my internal environment that I was then able to like start to problem solve externally and be like, no, you, ab- you can advocate for yourself. So I changed my schedule from Monday through Friday with a half day on Friday, which you know is never a half day to Monday, full day, full days Monday through Friday. And then the next week, Monday through Thursday. So I had one week oh. off a week without changing my contract you know, just like rearranging the chairs on the deck. And I did that for a little while and I was like, Nope, not enough. And so I literally walked into my CMO's office with my checkbook to pay back that forgivable loan because I was like, I'm done. If, and I did, I had to get aggressive and say like, we are changing my schedule. I am getting an amendment to my contract or I am leaving today. Like this is it. And I think they finally took me seriously. Now, Again, if I was a fly on the wall and I could go back to that place 10 years ago, you know, was it that I wasn't using good communication skills? Probably. Was it that I was talking to an older male physician who did not understand the extent of what female healthcare workers go through? Probably. There was probably a lot of factors on why I had to get very assertive. But I got it changed. So then I worked Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, and I had Tuesdays and Thursdays. And let me tell you, those Monday, Wednesday, Fridays felt like I was in the deep end of the pool. Like, you know, when you go all the way to the water with all the pressure and your ears feel tight and you can just like feel the water coming in. But those Tuesdays and Thursdays, they were like sitting on a floaty on the surface of the water and just breathing. Mm-hmm. And it made it tolerable then. And that's when I started doing my coaches training. I started thinking like, what else? What else? I started making connections with people online who were like me, but were maybe 300 miles away. And that's when I started, the wheels started moving to be like, holy shit, this isn't your forever. You can like do other things. And I think one of the best things that came out of that is I was, I can't remember if I was talking to someone specifically, but I was like, you know what? My non-compete is for family medicine only. What if I started going working in the ER and doing emergency medicine? And so lo and behold, that's what I did to get out of my non-compete was like, okay, you MFers, I won't go practice family medicine. And in fact, I don't really fucking want to practice family medicine right now. I'm going to go do something else. And so I did it. And so after three years being with that first initial practice, I left. And it was hard because I'm a people person. I love my patients. Like I love my friends and family and there's nothing worse, at least in my experience of saying goodbye to 20 plus people a day and breaking up with them. But what I realized though, is that medicine was not going to show up at my funeral, you know? And so I had to do what was most important for me, which is I needed to break away and I needed to figure out how life was going to do differently. So that's like the first chapter. And then there's a whole bunch after that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you made your way into the ER. Was that a better fit for you and your family? It was because
1: it allowed me, I think I worked 10 days a month Mm -hmm. rather than five days a week, Mm -hmm. and then three days a week. So I was working less. Like I said, either you're celebrating or learning. So we were celebrating, actually made more money, which is amazing. I really learned that me and 12-hour shifts don't work together. Like, I could physically tell that, like, point between seven and eight hours when I, like, dropped off the quick clip. And so that was one thing I kind of put in my brain vault of, like, okay, you're not doing this again. The other thing I learned and I celebrated is, like, I am a good fucking doctor. Like, that stuff that came back to me in residency, managing, like, big, heavy things in the ER, I can do that. I could put lines in, I could do conscious sedation, I could use my skills that I, and so it reinforced me where that confidence that I had lost through burnout is like, no, you got this. And then it also really reemphasized like, you're going to be okay. And I think that's the biggest thing when I work with people who come to me for burnout coaching, it's like taking that first big step and realizing that the sun still rises you know, the bottom didn't fall out. My kids aren't eating cat food out of a can. Like, we were okay. The lights stayed on. And yet, I totally did a 180 degree turn away from the career that I had always planned for. Now, there was grief there. Don't get me wrong, because when you're like 12, planning on what you're going to do in life, and then all of a sudden, you're that no longer looks like the life and the career that you intended to have. There was a lot to work through there, but it it was like that first big jump. And then also that's really when I got my book written. I got, you know, websites were so good. I started the podcast when I was working in the ER. And so, so many of those things that now I look back and have a lot of street cred, it gave me so much more space to get that done.
0: For somebody, and I'm sure this has come up with a lot of your coaching clients, for somebody who is worried about the financial piece, you know, if I step away from this job that is, you know, X number of dollars, and I'm pivoting to something that I know I'm not going to make as much money at getting over that financial hurdle, do you have any recommendations or seen things that people have done that in terms of mindset or anything to help them with that hurdle?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You are talking to the farm girl. We pay cash for everything. I felt so much guilt and shame around having medical student loans. Did I ever make you do the quarters and the couch exercise?
0: That's no, okay, no. Let me
1: tell you about the quarters and the couch exercise. So this is what I make people do when they start like spiraling about like, what about the money? What about the money? I'm like, all right, bitches. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to get every single piece of money Everywhere in your life, even the quarters at the bottom under the cushions of your couch, you're going to dig everything out. You're going to dig gift cards out. You're going to dig money you've squirreled away in a can somewhere You're going to get all of your retirement funds out. You're going to get your saving account out. You're going to look up what the value is of your big SUV sitting in the parking lot. What would it be that real nice couch that you bought off of Wayfair if you sold that on Facebook? What would it look like if you sold your big doctor house and just lived in an average size house? We're going to get all of that together and you're going to get a piece of paper. You don't need to get fancy with an Excel spreadsheet or any of that bullshit. you're going to put all of that down on a piece of paper. Now, of course, I don't want you to have to get into your retirement funds. I don't want you to have to sell the things that you love in your life. But if shit gets real and it's between your life because you're suicidal and your job, let me tell you what you're going to pick 100% of the time. You're going to pick your life because no job is worth your mental health. And so I have people do that. And sometimes they'll drag their feet and I'll be like, how'd the exercise go? Well, I'm like, no, how did the exercise go? You, we are gonna stop this call right now and you're gonna go get your checkbook and all the money and we're just gonna sit down here and we're gonna figure it out. And I'm gonna tell you, most people are such good stewards. They have money set aside. They've been saving re- for retirement. Yeah, maybe they might have student loans, but let me tell you, those are figure outable. And I would say most people, at a minimum, without even changing their lifestyle, easily can take six months off by just using the reserves that you have in different places. Mm -hmm. Now, I have worked with folks before that they're like, I literally need more time off. I need time to breathe. I need time to recover. I just need to rest. And I'm like, okay. Back when the housing market was really hot, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago. I had one client. She's like, we're moving. She's like, we bought our house for X amount. It's now worth double that. We, they lived in a coastal area. So it was highly sought after. They, they sold their house, made a shit ton of money, bought a nice smaller home, you know, still very reasonable. They got running water and electricity and Wi-Fi for God's sake, you know, so they're good. And, and, They're still, they work occasionally, you know, he works part-time. I think she works PRN, but they know for the next couple of years, they can sit on that nest egg and they'll be absolutely fucking fine. And the great thing is I've seen people do this time and time again is what they realize is they get reinvigorated and then they start making more money because they're happy with their life. Cause guess what? Happy people are productive people. Mm. And so do the quarters and the couch exercise. I dare you to you find all the monies everywhere. That is great.
0: And what about the people who say, oh, if I just stay two more years, I'll be vested in my retirement account. Do you do a similar
1: exercise? Do you have something similar to that? And I say, so those are the advantages of staying. You'll be vested. What's the disadvantages of staying? What do you have miss out on in the next two years? Okay, so what's the advantages of leaving, you know the chance of finding something better? Question I really love is asking them, what's the potential that something will change in your current job? Just give me a percentage. Twenty percent chance, Ten percent, fifty. okay, what's the what's the chance if you go try something new and it's better? And when you look at the actual numbers, wow. Because then the other thing is I always remind them is like, hello, we're in an employment shortage right now. And let's say you go out on a limb and you try this thing or you go get a new job or you move to a different practice or like me, you jump specialties from family medicine to ER. What's the chance that you'll be able to come back and do the exact same thing in the exact same place of what you're doing? It's pretty damn hot. Yes. So there's really nothing to lose with it. Like, go try the thing. And again, if you're like, oh, it's not for me. Okay, you're learning.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff. Yes. And I think sometimes as providers, we forget that we can be in the driver's seat of our lives. And absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, because for so long, we've not had that autonomy. We've been craving mm-hmm. it, but we've been told what we need to do and we need to show up, how we need to show up, how not to show up. And then we step into this thing called life because we've been on the, like, railroad tracks of formal education and professional training. But then, like, that train ends and then you're like, well, now what? And what, what we, I would say, you and I and the listeners, like, did not get informed of is, like, this is pick your own adventure. This is, if you get to go wherever you want to go. And like undoing those narratives that are in our heads that have been ingrained in them, either through family of origin or through life experience or through education, like unwinding those and now being like, and now you can pick what you want. Mm-hmm.
0: When you think about this is kind of shifting a little bit, when you think about some of these things that you've been through, and we had talked a little bit about you know, our default being work for the can you speak to the people who pour themselves into work because I know of a couple grieving moms who use work as their distraction from their grief and they've poured themselves a hundred percent into work. And I think that there are times that they may be having some burnout symptoms and don't realize it or, you know, they're on that journey if they keep going. Can you talk a little bit about using work as a coping mechanism and some things to think about if so you are one of those forward people? forward
1: about eight years. I do have to tell everybody, I am back in family medicine. I love it. And I also practice addiction medicine now. And so I see a huge parallel between the patients I take care of in the office who are struggling with alcohol, heroin, methamphetamines, benzos, you name it. I see it. And the people who come to me who are burnt out and they have a work addiction. It's something I talk more and more and more and more about. My next book is called Work Is My Drug, just just so you know, because I love that saying. But as humans, we are all looking to feel better. We are all recovering from something, be it ACEs, adverse childhood events, be it prenatal loss be it whatever, fill in the blank. We are all recovering from something. And so in our human nature, we just want to fucking feel better and activate those dopamine pathways and serotonin and like, please, please, please let's feel better here. And, you know, some folks, they find that in substances. Others find it in scrolling, sex, Amazon shopping, and work is another big one. because. When you're working, you're focused on the here and now. You can see tasks getting done. And for a lot of us, that's where we get our kicks of dopamine. Like, yes, 20 patients, boom, notes done. I am successful for the day, right? I get my Mm -hmm. atta girl. It's also a way to numb out. When I'm at work, I don't have to deal with what's happening at home. I don't have to deal with what's happened in the past. I can focus in on what this is and, you know, my, my, my job gives me meaning, right? I hear that a lot. Well, oh, my job is so meaningful to me. Is it meaningful or are you using it in a pathological way as a tool to not deal with life, not feel the feels? And so for the folks who are throwing themselves in the work, and I can see this as a caregiver too, where people throw themselves into caregiving, maybe to another child or, or, you know, in some other way, like being the Pinterest mom, been there, done that, let me tell you, it's not happening. Again. But, you know, for, for someone who's maybe in that way, I would just have you sit back and be like, it's not about the cookies and the snacks or the cool crafts, like there's something more going on here. Because it's, it's honestly, it's never about the alcohol. It's never about the heroin. It's never about the work. It's always about something under the surface. And if you're brave enough, and if you're ready, it's so important to look under that and ask the why. You know, why am I doing this behavior? What is under it? There's actually been some studies that show like some actual physiological withdrawal from work You know, like when you go on vacation and you just can't like shut it off for about two, maybe three days. And then the fourth day, you finally like because you're withdrawing. But then that, that like pre anticipation starts to kick back up your frontal lobe. It's like, oh shit, it's coming, you know, in the addiction world, we start calling it cravings. And it's like, when you're coming back to work on Monday and you're already like processing and thinking and doing that, like fringe, you're going through those same neural pathways that my patients are doing with a pill addiction or whatever, because we're, we're, we're geared like that. And so There, there are some really interesting studies that are just showing, you know, food is another one that people use, you know, they'll say like, I'm an emotional eater. No, you're not an emotional eater. You are eating. So you don't have emotions is what it is. And so for folks who are sitting out there who are very much like myself, I will raise my hand. I will show my card. You know, if work is my drug, then rest is my detox. That's one of the hardest things for me to do. Rest feels awful. True rest feels awful to me. Not the like you're so excited and you're like are so exhausted and you fall into bed and sleep for nine hours. Because like your body's literally falling apart at the seams because you're so exhausted. No, I'm talking about like mindfulness work, like meditation, like sitting in silence, taking a pause and going out into nature. Like all the bullshit things that I know I'm supposed to do, but are so painful and hard to do, but I feel better after I do them. That's what I'm talking about. And it's, it's living, instead of living in our sympathetic nervous system, by working and going and all the things that keep us going, it's really engaging those parasympathetics. Cause I don't know what we mentioned. I'm a crazy DO, So like, we love that kind of stuff, but getting into our parasympathetics, the rest and digest and like, Feeling the feels, even though they suck, feelings suck, let me tell you, but it's so essential to sit with them, to just accept them. And they, they pass through so much more readily than resisting them, them compartmentalizing them, them shoving them in the closet, and then they grow and we have to deal with them later.
0: It makes a lot of sense. Do you find that people who are experiencing burnout have certain diagnoses if you like look at them from a medical perspective like they have depression, anxiety, PTSD, are there common diagnoses, hypertension, GERD, you know, any of those that you see are more predominant than others?
1: Oh, I would say absolutely because again, it's so interesting. I think being a coach has made me a better clinician. Like when I sit down when somebody's coming in my office. I very much tend to, after we've kind of addressed the medical stuff, kind of go into coach mode, and I'm like, "So, so tell me how you're really doing, you know?" And vice versa. Now with my coaching, if you come and coach with me, I'm going to require you to see a therapist as, and I and someone who can prescribe medication, be it a psychiatrist or your family med doc or your internal med doc. I'm not your doctor. When I'm your coach, I'm your coach. But I'm just finding so many times that I need that team-based approach to really help people to recover and be at their healthiest. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many people, and I was this person too, back in 2014, I was not going to go sit in any doctor's office and tell them how much I was struggling, I just wasn't going to do it. But over the years, I've realized like, and this is the next best step. Like I need that team-based approach. I need to take care of all the things. And what I realized is I had extreme uncontrolled anxiety that I was, again, using work to like the the to-do list and like the just keep going. Because what I realized is I was having these thought tornadoes of anxiety. And the only way I knew how to control them was like to physically get stuff done, to get that anxious energy out of my body. And to work so hard that I was just exhausted at the end of the day. so those thoughts couldn't keep rolling at night. you know, and now that I've got that taken care of with many different vectors, including medication, I will say, because hello, doctors are not unicorns. we're humans too,
0: that I feel so much better. It's really important to hear you say that. And I think too, you know, you touched upon working in addiction medicine. I want to remind people, you know, providers, you're human. And if you are finding that that one glass of wine in the evening is turning into one bottle every evening, or you are feeling like you don't have control over it, or you are starting, you know, to use different substances or what have you, that there is help and it's okay. And you are human too. And there are people to support you through this
1: My BFF, Dr. Kara Pepper, she is doing a lot of work around gray area drinking. So it's like you haven't gotten a DOI, you haven't hit rock bottom, but like you don't like your relationship with alcohol. Like you don't have a drinking problem, but you have a problem with your drinking is what she says. So go over and see her. She's got a lot of great information. She's got a new podcast podcast. To listen to as well that I have been on talking about these hard things when we think it's just us, because it is true. It is we are all human. You know the other thing that I see is exercise addiction.
0: Mm. When people
1: throw themselves and they become runners and they're doing like halves, marathons, ultras. I did that. Hundred percent did that when I was doing my when I was doing the Spartan series obstacle course racing. Because again, like you're trying to accomplish something and get something done. You get those natural endorphins of exercise. But then, what you, I at least, I start to see in my patients is then they're having repetitive injuries or having overuse injuries. When I'm like, when, and how you can really tell if someone has an exercise addiction is when they are physically hurt and they can't stop engaging in that exercise. It's like an alcoholic who can't put down the bottle. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: it's another one I see a lot. I see a lot of people coping with grief with exercise. And, you know, the world around them is like, that's amazing. Look how much weight you've lost. Oh my gosh, you you placed such and such in the Boston Marathon. Those are great things. But again, like what's under that? Why are you doing this? So it's another one I want to throw out there too.
0: Well, I like, you know, you mentioning a team approach, a coach, a therapist, I kind of look at coaching as, you know, looking at what you want your life to be and creating some new habits. And I kind of look at therapy as uncovering some of the things that have happened in the past that have brought to you brought you to where you are today. Do you look at it the same way? Or do you have a different perspective?
1: Coaching, I'm going to take you where you are now and help you move forward. Therapy is about untangling the past and seeing how it's affecting your current. I think so. I think having a mentor is another team player that's important. Like I said, having a prescriber to talk about would medications help? Are you taking care of all the other stuff? Do you have something underlying? ibs do you have like you said blood pressure any number of other things under when's the last time you fucking got a cbc and a cmp and a tsh you know are you taking care of your physical health
0: and check your vitamin levels too because you might be vitamin d deficient and feeling kind of depressed from that
1: you could be anemic and not even so you know just having a good checkup you know having we we all need to take care of ourselves and whatever that team approach looks like, I think is very important. Sometimes we need those people to like throw us back in bounds when we're starting to get a little, a little, a little crazy, a little haywire. One of my other good friends, her name's Michelle Quirk, Dr. Michelle Quirk. She is a running coach, but from the perspective of wholeness and wellness, not from the perspective of more miles and decreasing your time. And so, I think it's important, and she's a great one, to be like, so why are you doing this? You know, your rest day was yesterday, and you decided, what's going on? Because it's, it's, again, it's not about the running. It's about something else underneath of it. So, yes, I think having that team-based approach. And the other thing that I think is so vitally important is community. We hit on it at the beginning of this podcast. I had no one like me around me. And so eventually I found those people through the magic of the internet. And now I have a beautiful community and I have people in my cell phone that I could text at any point and to be like, hey, I'm not doing well. Can you talk? I love my husband. He's terrible in some aspects of my life for me. He doesn't get it. And that's okay. He doesn't need to be all things for me. And and so I think it's so important to start making those communities. A lot of people find that, you know, through group coaching, they may find it through conferences or, you know, different spaces, but it's like show up in the spaces where other people like you are and start being vulnerable. And I'll tell you that can be so therapeutic and healing.
0: Well, as we kind of wrap things up, do you have any other final thoughts of anything that we should touch upon that we haven't talked about that you think is important? I
1: would just say don't compare where you are right now with anyone else because mm. right now, you know, I'm sitting in my middles and someone else may be just at the very beginning of their journey. So I think it's so important to remind yourself like we get into the compare and despair game. And I think just remembering like you are not alone, change is possible. This is not your forever and help is available for those who ask.
0: Well, I will link in the show notes to Dr. Kara Pepper and some of the other people you mentioned and your podcast and whatnot. If people want to find you, where is the best place to go?
1: You know, I haven't been doing a lot of social media lately. It's just one of those things that... Trying to get outside more and exercise. Mm-hmm. So drop me an email at hello at burntouttobadass.com. I do play on Instagram. That's Aaron Wiseman, is my personal account. If you want to come over there, if you want to follow all the doings, you can go over to burnt out to badass on Instagram as well. We are on all the channels and all that kind of thing. But like I said, just drop me an email. That's usually the, the quickest and best way to get a hold of me. My other podcast, so the Burnt Out's a Badass is kind of like old school Netflix. We drop a season at a time. None of this like trickling it out bullshit. So you can go listen to the past three seasons. But if you do want a weekly podcast, go over to Dr. Me first, because that's really where I'm telling stories, encouraging people to take care of themselves first. It was the podcast we talked about that I started in 2017. It's now like... 400 and some odd episodes it's so fun and yeah the work of art
0: and a couple of awards along the way too if I remember correctly a
1: bunch of awards yeah yeah it's it's gone from a little thing that I started in a room in the library because we don't you know we're country people we didn't even have internet back at that time at the house so I started it in the library, and now it is serving over 100,000 people. It's bringing people together. It's elevating voices of so many great stories. And it's just a, a weekly pickup, I think, for people sometimes, even if you just want to listen to the song, you know, to, to get up and get going.
0: That sounds great. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes for anybody who wants to connect with you, work with you, or listen to your pod, one of your podcasts. And you have shared so much valuable information here for anyone who's experiencing burnout or not really sure if they are and have a few symptoms of it and want to exercise some self-care. So thank you for joining me with this conversation on the episode.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you for trusting me and coming and coaching with me. And I just know that so proud of you and you should be so proud of yourself where you are now. And my tagline, I love to give the badass in me honors the badass in you, lady.
0: Thank you so much. Right back at you, Erin. If you identified with many of the things Erin and I talked about today, I invite you to listen to her podcast or consider working with her. From personal experience, I can tell you the investment in her coaching is worth it. Another option would be to join a mindful prescription in September if you are feeling like your grief is threatening your career, impacting your relationships, or hurting your well being. A mindful prescription is a four week course introducing you to meditation, yoga, and other informal mindfulness practices to help you build the courage to acknowledge and process your feelings strength to carry the weight of your grief, and resilience so you can create a new norm after loss. For more information, click the link below in the show notes. You will also find links to the Pause Remember website, Facebook community, virtual monthly support group, and other ways to connect with me. Please share this podcast and resources on your social media or with colleagues in need of support. Leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts also helps providers find this podcast. Thank you for listening. I look forward to sharing more with you soon. Be well.